and welcome to Women Who Protect, a monthly series as part of the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast. In a profession largely dominated by men, we spotlight women working in a wide range of positions within security, protection, and law enforcement. We will hear their stories, discuss their accomplishments, and also seek their advice for women and girls who might be interested in a career in protection or security. I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo with Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. After nearly three decades of experience working in security and protection, as the chief research psychologist at the U.S. Secret Service, and then in the private sector providing security guidance to corporations, educational institutions, and high-profile individuals, I know firsthand the immense value that women bring to this field. And I know the challenges that we face. I look forward to sharing with you the stories of women who protect and hope they inspire other women and girls to consider joining our ranks. Now, on to the podcast. Lieutenant Charnel Sanders works within Great Lakes Water Authority as a special projects manager on their security and integrity team. Charnel holds a Master of Art degree in criminal justice and also a Master of Science degree in intelligence analysis from the University of Detroit Mercy. She also holds a certificate in police staff and command from Northwestern, among several other certifications she holds. Charnel is often described as bold and tenacious, and her motto is be yourself, know your worth, and never settle for good enough. She credits her strong faith for her successes. Charnel, welcome to Women Who Protect. Marissa, I'm so excited to be here. I, I find it an honor, and anytime I get to talk about what I do and how I got here, uh, I love it. So thank you. Perfect segue. That is absolutely my first question. I want to hear how you got into the field of security. What what got you into it? When was it? And and tell me about this origin story of yours. Origin story. So hopefully it's going to lead into being a hero and not a villain because, you know, you got both of those. But um, <laughs> no, uh, growing up in Topeka, Kansas, uh, it's kind of rural, um, but it's not like, you know, old, like the old West, you know, there's no, uh, hay bells or anything in, you know, tumbleweed going down the streets or <laughs> anything like that, but it is a, a small town and very vast as far as how we're set up. However, we had our own police, uh, wasn't sheriffs or anything. It was the Topeka police department. And I told my mom, when I was a kid, I'm going to be a cop. Full stop. I'm going to be a cop. And she would just say, okay. And, <laughs> and, you know, and then they'd ask me again, I was like, I want to be a cop. Well, then I did get, you know, a little bit more developed in what I wanted to do. And, uh, to, you know, every mother wants to hear their 11 year old say, well, I'm going to hunt serial killers. You know, that's exactly what she mm -hmm. wanted to hear. Um, but from that time, as a kid, I just planned my life around getting to that goal of uh, fighting for justice, fighting for people. Um, I got in trouble in school for fighting for people, not necessarily physically, but 
I was always standing up for someone. Um, and it's just been in me. So I wanted to do that. So my first goal was to get a psychology degree. I knew if I was going to go after criminals, I needed to know how um, and why, their how and why, so that I uh, could fulfill my my why. So that's what I did. Went to school, got a psychology degree, uh, then went to Detroit Mercy, got a criminal justice degree. And then because I have had nothing else to do, I guess, I went and got another master's degree <laughs> in intelligence analysis. So I had a dual, a dual program going to get those two things. Again, just trying to put everything I could under my belt to be the most prepared I could be going into, into this field that I wanted to do at such a young age. Um, but being young, I was also a little ahead. Um, and so I wasn't even old enough, Marissa, to have uh, a weapon. Like I couldn't join a police department when I graduated with my bachelor's degree. And that is why wow. I just like, well, I'll just go back to school <laughs> until I'm old enough. Charnell, let me just, let me pop in here for a second. This is a first on women who protect. I have never heard that aspect before that, that you were too young to have a weapon at the time that, that you wanted to, to become a, a police officer. This is, this is fascinating. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but please keep going. Yeah, I, I was too young and I just thought, well, this isn't going to work. Um, but instead <laughs> of just waiting around and getting a, a job somewhere else until I was old enough, I just went back to school and said, well, surely by the time I finish this master's degree, I'll be old enough, you know, for <laughs> sure. Um, but once I got there and saw everything that I could do, um, in the field, in law enforcement, it completely opened my eyes that yes, we absolutely need police officers. And, you know, even if I had it to go back and I was old enough, I would have joined a police department in a heartbeat. But realizing how vast the field of law enforcement is, I thought, okay, there's, there are other things I can do. And other things I can do behind the scenes that help the police officers in the field. And so I just, that's when it kind of shifted my, um, my goal of what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, uh, shifted at the tender age of 21. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I said, if I can continue on this path of education and and learn and and learn how to uh, create things that make it safer for police officers, and at the same time make them more effective and efficient, then I'm going to do that um, because they have a hard job. They do. I, I know a lot of police officers. Uh, I have friends. They do a hard job. But if I can do the intelligence part of it to get things in perspective for them to go out and do the physical, then, hey, why not do that? Um, 
But then again, at 24, that shifted again (laughs) (laughs) because I got introduced to critical infrastructure. Yes. And I, it was kind of like an aha moment in the classroom. Like I can remember sitting in the back. I was that student. I always sat in the back and it always looked like I wasn't paying attention. I just did, but I really was. And I was sitting in the back of the room and it was kind of like, wait a minute. If we don't have certain things, we can't live. Like it just, and it seems so simple, right? Um, but we turn on a switch in our house, you know, and we expect a light to come on, right? We paid our bill. There should be electricity. Right. You know, I go to the doctor and I'm expecting my doctor to be able to, uh, to provide insight into my health, but there's critical infrastructure, health system, our electricity, our water that people don't think about because it's just a part of who we are and what we do every day. So if there's not protection for that, what are we? Who are we? And so then my focus went into, okay, I can still work in this serial killer thing, I'm sure. I'm sure I can (laughs) still work this in. (laughs) But at the same time, protect the foundation of who we are. Um, You know, 9-11, I was in the sixth grade, I think. And I was sick that day. Like, you know, everybody knows where they were when, you know, life changing, life altering things uh, happened, right? The collective. Well, I was in the sixth grade and I had a sinus infection and I was at home. So I didn't even know 9-11 happened until like 9-17 when I went back to school and we were, they were still watching TV. I'm like, what's happening? And I go home and I'm like, mom, she's like... I know I came and turned your TV on. And I said, well, I missed it. I still missed it. And so when I got into intelligence analysis at Detroit Mercy and started learning about uh, terrorism and critical infrastructure, I went back to that time and kind of, and I did start remembering certain things changing. And I thought, if I can be a part of making sure that people don't ever feel that way again, even if it's a small part, even if it's just, you know, one community, I'm doing my part. And again, when going to school, finishing up, not not having really a plan, Marissa, not one at all. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess. I've been there too. So <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, I have no plan. I'm going to graduate. They're like, what are you going to do next? I'm going to take a break. I've been going to school my <laughs> whole life. I'm going to take a nap. Good. And I got a call saying, Hey, come work with me here. You know, I'm, I'm, do, I'm protecting the water. And I said, all right, that makes absolutely no sense. I get it, but I do understand but what you're saying still isn't connecting with the the years of education that I've done until I started doing the work. And that's that's really my origin is not knowing anything 
and having people who knew me say, hey, come do this. Boom. All that to say that part, Marissa. That's it. So profound, right? Well, yes. And and I want to highlight a couple of things because I think this is particularly inspirational for um, you know, for listeners who are who are younger in their careers or even considering a career transition, that first and foremost, you had a desire to get into some sort of policing enforcement protection, and 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 when you were young, and, and that was my experience as well. All you knew was sort of police officers, like I want to be a police officer, unless you happen to grow up with you know family friends who were in right. you know a, a special agent in a federal agency for example like you really kind of just knew right. that's that's front and center police police officer but as you learned more went through your undergraduate went through your your two masters degrees started to learn the field more those that 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 vision opened up um at, at Ontic we talk about widening the aperture but really your perspective seemed to expand significantly yes. and and you got to see different ways that you could have a truly beneficial impact on security and including critical infrastructure and I want to turn back to you for a minute because I think there I know that there are listeners who don't necessarily know what critical infrastructure means and and why it protection of critical infrastructure assets is so vitally important so can you speak to that just for a minute yeah so I don't even really know where where the the origination or the the term was coined um but breaking breaking it down right critical meaning it's important and it it may for people critical is of the utmost important the first thing you know they say what are the first five things you'll take out of your house if there's a fire right and Critical infrastructure is kind of that. What are those first five things or six things that you need uh, to survive as a person, as a human, right? Um, but then infrastructure. So it is the foundation of of living. So for me, um, that is how I reconcile what I was in processing, what I was learning with what I do. And I try to, so I'm trying to make that, um, that clear. So if you could just stick with me for a second yep, yep. Uh, while I take you through my tunnel of, <laughs> of processing, <laughs> but you have this infrastructure that is the foundation of who you are, who we are humans, and then the critical foundation. So, um, I don't know if anyone has Built, you know, tried to build a deck or even laid paving, right? You have to first dig down. Mm-hmm. Then there's different layers before you can even get, before you get to the paver. Um, and you've probably seen even a retaining wall possibly, you know, leaning because possibly underneath there was something going on. So when we think of critical infrastructure, you have to think of the foundation that allows humans to go throughout life. And so those critical infrastructure sectors, uh, water, electrical, health, um, are, are one of the top three, uh, are the, are included in our critical infrastructure sectors, um, communication. So like our towers, cell towers, that kind of thing. That's what allows us to work, eat, live. Yeah. Right. So the protection of those things, 
become important for Americans and humans in general. So if you don't have those things, now that if you take even one of those things out, your quality of life changes drastically. And so we now have presidential directives that say these sectors are the important things that we have to protect as the United States of America. We have to protect these things in order for Americans to function. And that is, um, again, something that people don't think about. And I, I always say, I've done my job. If people don't worry about flushing the toilet, turning on the faucet, yep, or you know, flipping that light switch, they're not, they don't think about it. Because that means that all of us in critical infrastructure security, we have done our jobs. And I think people often are not aware that our critical infrastructure assets, our water supply, our, our electrical plants, our cell towers, are often active targets for people that want to do us harm, whether it's from, you know, foreign nationals, internationally, individual activists, threat actors, whatever the case may be, that these are assets that don't just continue to function along in the background and everything's fine. They, active protection is required, including gathering intelligence on people who may be considering targeting them. Because to your point, if we have our water supply disrupted, our electricity disrupted, disrupted, it so significantly impedes our ability to function as a society, to have police response, to have health care, all of these things. That, that, and, 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 and we all, as citizens, take it for granted that when we turn on that faucet, water will be there. We turn that switch, electricity will be there. They are often under active threat, these critical infrastructure assets. And I think so many people are just unaware when you tell them, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But on a day to day level, they don't recognize that they require active, consistent, constant protection. They don't think about it, Marissa, until something happens. And then for a moment, as a culture, we think about it. So like even after 9-11, transportation changed. And. I mean, I didn't, thankfully, I wasn't old enough to really live through it to to experience it myself. But just in my studies, realizing like, oh, they didn't always do that at the airport. They're they're like, no, that didn't happen until (laughs) 9-11. And it's like, wow, okay. And in my mind, I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense. They just let you walk right up to the plane and you weren't getting on. They're like, no, like anybody could walk with anybody right to the plane. I'm like, that's dumb. Like, honestly, I think to myself, like, why would we ever do that? Right. And even without knowing what I know about critical infrastructure, that still just made no sense to me. So like, like you said, some things now you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, right now with the pandemic, people, you know, food and agriculture and transportation all played a part in our supply chain, right? Well, it wasn't an act of terrorism. However, that was critical infrastructure, which is why we 
have laws that we have that are able to protect us and still get supplies that we need in, in order to live. But it's like, it's those things that, you know, we go to the grocery store and, you know, I am obsessed with cherries and I don't, I don't know if that's me moving to Michigan that got me into like a cherry obsession. But <laughs> if I go to the store and there's no cherries, like Marissa, I'm have I'm ready to like, okay, can I go somewhere and pick them off myself? Do they just need to be bagged? Like I'm trying to figure out <laughs> how, how you can I help. Can <laughs> yeah, how can I assist, insist in getting these cherries on the shelf? But like, again, that is something that we don't think about when we go to the grocery store, the things that we like and the things that we need for the most part are always there. And, and we can't take it for granted and be grateful for sure that it's there, but then always be grateful for the people that are protecting it. And it gives me an entirely different appreciation for everyone that protects any of the things that, again, I just get to go and do without ever having to think about all the stuff that was going on in the background for me to have it. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In a world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That's why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in the security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis for some of the industry's top practitioners. Define blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. As we talk about one other aspect of critical infrastructure protection that I want to just make sure our listeners understand because, because we critical infrastructure protection, again, this is an absolutely behind the scenes, unless you're in it, in the middle of it, like you are, or you, you have a, I think a first responder position, um, and have had to respond to an incident that disrupts a critical infrastructure, a piece of it. You don't often appreciate this. But one thing I do know, and I don't know if it's the same for water, but I do know for some of the critical infrastructure sectors, like financial services, which is identified as a critical sector, um, that the the entities that exist in that center that provides us financial services aren't solely owned by government agencies. Uh, so for a number of critical infrastructure sectors, the assets there, what we are trying to protect might be owned by private companies, mm -hmm. or there's a mix of private and public, which means you've got different systems and different standards and different resources. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how do you accomplish that networking liaison in collaboration for protecting critical infrastructures and critical infrastructure assets when you are dealing not just with a government agency, a, a, a local authority, for example, that owns something, but you've got to work with private interests as well. You know, that's a great question. Nobody's ever, ever asked me that. Um, but I try to 
always remember what my main goal is, why I do what I do, which is to protect people. And I, I believe that me having that main goal and when I sit down with anyone that I have, that I am uh, seeking cooperation or assistance from, I make sure that they know that right from the beginning. My job is to protect my people first, the people who do the job the, that then protects and helps the people, our, our community and our uh, residents. And then go from there. Because at the end of the day, I want to be able for everyone to go home, go inside their houses, go to sleep at night and wake up the next morning and do it again. That's my goal for myself. And that's my goal for any of the people who report to me. I want everybody, no matter what crazy chaotic thing happened during the day, If we can all go home and sleep in our own beds, then I've done my job. And so that's how I approach anyone that I'm uh, seeking cooperation. And on top of that, that's the first thing. The second thing is letting them know that I am here to cooperate with them. I don't, I'm not here to take over. I'm not here. I'm here to be an, an assistant, an asset a resource for you Uh, because we are mixed with where something may be owned by the state or federal, or it may be owned by the local community, but yet I'm a resource. And I always want them to know that I'm a resource. If you need something, I'm here. And so even going into something, trying to do it before there's an actual reason to, is I think huge. Introducing yourself and making the phone calls, making the connections before you have to make those connections. That way, when there is an emergency, we already know who all the players are and we're able to just jump in and do the job. Again, with that shared goal of we are here to protect people and we are here as a service to others. Oh, that's excellent. I I think that's such a great approach to all of this. And and again, reassuring people that you're not there to take over, you're there as a resource and and to partner and to help. Um, I I think that could be <laughs> that's great guidance for any critical infrastructure sector and and for yeah. the the protection efforts that go into that. I I want to pivot at this point to talking about um getting into security, getting into the field. Uh, hearing about your education was fascinating. And then, and especially the evolution of of your interest in in different aspects of security. One of the goals of our podcast is not only to help illustrate women in a whole range of positions within security and also law enforcement and, and, and military as well, but to encourage people, whether it's, um, young women and girls who might be thinking of getting into security as a career, uh, women who may be thinking about a career transition into security. What guidance do you have for women, young women and girls who may be intrigued like you were as a young girl and and maybe considering this field 
what guidance, what, what advice do you have about should they get into it? Uh, what do you recommend? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely, they should get into it. Um, that's the first, you know, just right off the bat. Yes, there is a place for you. And that's the biggest thing I want. If you don't didn't listen to anything else I said, <laughs> any of my other ramblings, <laughs> there is a place for you, for women in this field, in law enforcement, intelligence, there is a place for you. And I'm so passionate about that um, because as I continued, I, I'm going to say this, I, I'm going to, I blame my mother. She's going to end up listening to this um, (laughs) for this delusion that I have that I can do absolutely anything. Okay. And I recently told her this, I said, you did this. I, in my mind can do absolutely anything. So I didn't even realize how few women were in the field that I was trying to go. Like, I didn't know. Like, I thought we all were here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like in my <laughs> mind, we created this. Okay. Yep. So the rest of you are visitors. So there is a place for women and it's needed. We are needed. And, you know, yes, I'm a woman. So I'm always going to stand on that we're better. But (laughs) the thing is, our minds just work different. They do. Um, And being in a male-dominated field of intelligence, uh, even in classes, there weren't a lot of us. Um, And even now, there's just not a lot. And when I step into a room, a lot of times, I am the only woman and I don't even realize it sometimes. Like I don't even, it's like after everything's done, Uh I'm like, wait a minute, there were no other women here. Yep. And that's not okay. So I am on a mission at this point to change that because we have to have a seat at the table. And when I say a seat, I mean multiple seats. We have to have multiple seats at the table and be a part of the conversation because we have value and we add value to the conversation. So if you are thinking about being a police officer, find everything you can and go do it. And finding a mentor, and it doesn't even have to be a mentor that's in the field that you're in. Um, I had a mentor growing up. Um, she, she has since passed away, but when I was younger, she told me, Charnel, you read everything you get your hands on everything. And I'm going to try not to get emotional. I can already feel it in my voice. You read everything. And she's not here today to see what I have become. And I owe it to her to say the same thing to any young lady I run into that I see wavering a little bit on on something they want to do. I know this podcast about women who protect. Absolutely. I want everyone to get into law enforcement because we're needed, get into intelligence. But even if it's not 
law enforcement, whatever it is you want to do, you go and do it. The only thing, the worst that can happen to you is somebody tells you no. And then, but what you hear is not right now. That is literally what, when people tell me no, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll ask you tomorrow. (laughs) It's not a, that that word doesn't actually mean stop for me. Um, I, I see it as a challenge a lot of times, but you find a mentor that when you are like, okay, I don't know if I can keep doing this or this is too hard, find, find someone, a strong woman who will tell you exactly what you need to hear. They're not going to patty cake it to you. And they're just going to say, you know what? I hear you now get up and just go do it. And thankfully I still have women like that in my life that, um, you know, they don't, they don't really let me get away with much. You know, they, uh, (laughs) they definitely challenge me. And I kind of, uh, you've probably already noticed, Marissa, I have a little bit of a stubborn and uh, maybe maybe a little bit of a devious side to me where I, I'm definitely like, oh, you you told me to go right, but I'm going to go left <laughs> just to see what happens. But I have those women that are like, I turn left and they're, they're standing right there. And I'm like, how did you get over here? Cause I knew you were coming this way, you know? So yeah. for every young woman and for every, you know, older woman, if, if you're, you got into a field because you thought that you couldn't do the law enforcement thing, stop what you're doing right now and go do what it is that you know, in your heart, you want to do. And that's the other thing. If it's truly in your heart, you're never going to let anything stop you. So. Again, I wasn't even old enough to be on a police force because I couldn't get a we- I couldn't carry a weapon. Right. So, you know, and my mom, so I was like, well, I'll just go back to school. And my mom's like, you can't carry a weapon. If you wait another year, you'll be 21. But instead, you're going to go two years to get another degree. Yes. And she's like, OK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, that that to me makes sense. But. It's like I wasn't going to let anything stop me from doing what it what it is and what I I wanted to do. And you can't take no and then just walk away. You can't. Because if you do that, think about all the good that now that you are supposed to do that doesn't get done. And I think so much of what you're talking about is that there are a number of different ways to get into this field a number of different aspects of, of security and law enforcement to get into. If you hit an obstacle, A, if you've had a, found a mentor, they can be that critical resource right at that time when you feel like giving up. But there's so many ways to accomplish this over, around, and, and, and through. You weren't young, you weren't old enough to, to own a weapon, to use a weapon. Fine. So you went back to school and you got even more education into in this field that you wanted to go into. And it opened up your perspective about all other uh, lots of other things that you could do and, and so many other ways. I think that you could contribute even more than you would have been able to just as a, a frontline police officer. So I just want to thank you, Lieutenant Charnell Sanders. Charnell, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. You have broken new ground for women who protect uh, in, for our podcast and, uh, and, and really helped to illustrate a, a true aspect of security that 
so few people talk about and is so vitally important in terms of critical infrastructure protection. So thank you for your time and thank you for sharing all of your guidance. Well, thank you, Marissa, for for the invite. I truly do find it an honor and and it's very humbling to to be even mentioned in the same category now as, as all the other women that have come on this podcast. I listened to a few of them and I thought, what? And they want me for what? Uh, but I, so I definitely find it an honor. And, and with that, I'm going to continue to just go forward and, and make, make it worth the time and the effort that you all have been put into me um, for inviting me here. So I appreciate it. Well, it was our pleasure. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Roll the Dice and was written by Mark Wallach. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast@ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.